Hi, my name is Andrew Shankman. I'm a writer, mostly of kids' cartoons, and also the host of this podcast, Goodest Notes. On Goodest Notes, our mission is to interview career creatives of all kinds about the best notes and solid feedback they've received on their work from their collaborators. Because getting notes can be rough, but they can also be goodest. We're still workshopping the intro. Today's guest is Steph Masayoseki. Steph is the voice director for Paw Patrol, a voice actor on shows like Wish Fart and Mysticons, the basis for the rock band A Primitive Evolution, as well as a composer and session musician. She is the coolest person I know, and that's saying something because I know at least five or six people. Hi, Steph. How's it going? Hi. I'm good, thanks. That was a, quite the intro. I'm impressed you said yeah. my band name without flubbing it. Like, every interview we ever did, it would be like, a primitive evolution. What's the best? <laughs> have you gotten, like, a really good, wrong version of a primitive evolution? No, but I have a best context of it happening. We um, did a naked news interview once. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah, sure. And uh, our host, Catherine Curtis, she was interviewing us and she said, a she's like, why did you name your band that? <laughs> While topless. Good for her. Sticking up for herself. So first off, we're just going to go through a couple icebreaker questions. And the first thing I wanted to ask as both a voice director and voice actor, how has your experience as a voice actor helped you give notes in your voice direction? I find it helps immensely because I'm able to kind of know just like from the smallest requests of the actor, like what the actor is thinking when I do things and like when I make line changes or taking into consideration how involved the note-taking processes as an actor. I feel like if a voice director isn't an actor themselves, it's like they're not aware of like all the little notation methods that we have to come up with as they're like giving us all these notes in a line run. I think I'm very sympathetic and try to like cater what I say to them with that in mind. And just like the insecurities of being a voice actor too. So like cushioning the blow on like the way I talk to them sometimes and try to, you know, give the uh, the positives first. It's the shit sandwich profile, like yeah. <laughs> give a compliment, then uh, oh, this could be better and then finish it off with a, but this was really good. Ego awareness too, a little bit, because you're just so on the spot there and like, oh, did I do anything right then? <laughs> you got to keep that morale up. Being on that side of the glass, I remember once briefly being on the actor side in a studio and putting on a pair of headphones and even just like the deadness of like, oh no, this is very stressful. <laughs> I often will take one ear off to avoid that aquarium kind of feeling too. It just keeps you grounded kind of having one ear <laughs> open. That's a great tip. I have one more on the voice acting front which is I've heard you describe uh, the character Akiko from Wishfart as the closest character to yourself that you've played. I was just wondering what it was like to get notes on a character who in some ways was like being yourself. Oh, well, I never got any notes as that character. There you <laughs> go. That's a good... <laughs> Nailed it. One take wonder. That show was a unique situation because we actually got to record ensemble. The main cast was recorded ensemble for like pretty much every episode. So like the flow and interaction was so like primo. Like I really don't remember ever getting many major notes other than like technical stuff. Like and I'm still detached from the character too. I still know that I'm playing a role. So <laughs> any notes that come, I'm like, 
Well, that's for Akiko. It's not for me. <laughs> Now's the part of the show where we dig in and talk about some goodest notes. Um, can you tell me about some memorable notes or hands-on practical advice you've received in your career? In, in the most like poetic ways, like Merlan Ridley, she's like one of my main mentors. Like she always says uh, that her mom said to her, love many, trust few, always paddle your own canoe. <laughs> That's a good note. That's like the most epic one that stands out in my memories too. And I, I always kind of wonder about the trust few. I'm like, how few? Um, <laughs> Go back and ask her the, the specific number. Any memorable notes that you've received in the booth? Maybe more technical. Don't clear your throat so much. If you're going to take another line again when you're in an ensemble record, you got to like warn the other actors because they're just expecting to like keep that flow going. That's that's actually a really good point. How quickly do you feel like you got a sense for that kind of dance? So we're talking about multiple people recording lines at the same time, you know, in the same little recording booth and sort of navigating who goes when, when the lines kind of overlap or are happening at the same time. I actually feel like I learned it before I even started voice acting because I was record assisting before as voice acting and I would know like we were taking things again because other actors were stepping on each other. So we'd have to redo it. I'm like, okay, noted. <laughs> I won't do that. But it totally messes with comedic timing to have to like have that beat there sometimes so I can understand why actors are often torn with that you have to like just really mechanize things for technical reasons voice acting my first gig was actually a dubbing so like there's a whole different set of rules with dubbing stuff because you're so locked to every flap of the mouth that you're not thinking too much creatively about what you're doing that's kind of a gift almost to have something be like so mechanized that you can't get in your head too much or I don't know I say that now I haven't done it well things tend to fall into place as long as you nail the entry point and you're not like speaking ridiculously fast or slow things tend to balance out as long as top and tail kind of match so voice wise like I really most of the advice I got it was as a record assistant and I think I just like compiled it all in my head and like I seriously don't remember that much stuff being said to me when I was acting Advice-wise. I mean, that's kind of interesting in and of itself. The nature of the way information gets passed down, you know, kind of like an apprenticeship, either officially or not, type of situation that sometimes the best notes is leading by example and just doing the job well. <laughs> well I just did it for so dang long. Like, it was just, I think I record assisted for like... I don't know, eight to 10 years or something. Somebody called upon um, me like, Steph is my assistant. She can fill in for me because nobody knows how I think as much as she does. Pulled you off from the street. I can actually, as you know, I can relate to this. Steph got me into record assisting, which is somebody who's sort of using paperwork to manage the different takes that are recorded of an animation script. But it is a really interesting perspective because you're right in the thick of a voice record. But once you've got it, it is a partly automatic process, you know, like in a way that's different from the creative work of directing or voice acting. But it lets you leave your eyes open and sort of take everything in. And you happen to like be connecting with the higher ups of the whole production, like the producers there, the director, animation directors there, and then the voice directors there too. So you kind of like, <laughs> you have great visibility in the industry doing that job. Yeah, it's a good way to break in. If anybody is listening to this who's looking for a job 
that might be adjacent to what they want to do that they hadn't thought of. Right? Which leads to like, how do they get that job? Yeah, because like, I don't even know how it exists outside of Toronto. Like, I guess I would suggest just going to recording studios and like volunteering, just interning and just soaking things up and eventually maybe getting asked to do that. I don't even know if record assistants exist in like LA. Like They look different in one way or another. Some shows have record assists, that position being filled by other members of production as opposed to a, a, a freelance person. Or the editor uh, just suffers. <laughs> yeah, holds it all in their head. Yeah. I can't imagine. I, I can't even imagine the job pre-digital. Oh my God. Um, yeah. They had to be better at it than I am, certainly. Can't imagine um, anything pre-digital. I wanted to take it in one other direction. I'm really fascinated to hear you talking about performing the narration for audiobooks. The scale of that work as a voice actor seems so different. Even how do you receive notes in a situation like that when you're trying to go through so much content? Literally, like, like so we'll be kind of going paragraph by paragraph somewhat, and then the director will stop you and tell you, okay, can we take that again? And just think about, just immerse yourself a little bit more in the situation, or you started speeding up there. That's that was my hardest thing I find with audiobooks is like I've come from such an animation background. I started wanting to talk like this. And, and the idea with audiobooks is that they they like undershoot the speed. It's expected that people will mess with the playback speed. So oh, we give them like the bottom level of speed and then they can work from there. Like, so that was so hard keeping tabs. I've only done one audiobook. Did you get any good tips from anyone when you were going into to do your first audiobook? I'm already thinking of stuff that I learned on the fly there because it it was a pretty quick turnaround between the audition and going and like I like had one meeting with the voice director before we started but I just kind of learned as I went and like learned have food in your stomach <laughs> mm. or if your stomach is empty like usually like I was bringing tea to every record and I find with tea, when it's hot, you're like kind of sipping it like and, and sucking in air at the same time. And then that air goes into your stomach and like you're on a shotgun mic that's like so cranked gain wise, your entire gastrointestinal system, you can hear every little air bubble that you swallowed <laughs> drinking the tea. So I learned to like come in with lukewarm tea <laughs> so I wouldn't be like... <laughs> Forgo all pleasures of the flesh in order to bring people their audiobooks. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, it was, there was such long, because I'm not a person who eats breakfast usually, so <laughs> I learned that I should probably eat something before those. We would go four hours each time, the full four hours, like, constantly talking, and, uh, yeah, that, uh, you can't do that on an empty stomach, because it would create all these air bubbles. <laughs> It's impressive. Even as somebody who talks constantly, as you know, like four hours of uninterrupted, measured pace narration kind of blows my mind. Before going on to the last section, I, I had one last section of your life to poke in, which is any good advice that you've gotten as a super badass rock and roll bassist in the music world. Oh my God. Every time you say advice, I'm just like, well, I learned myself to do this. I'm so autonomous. <laughs> Maybe I have received advice, but I'm such a like stubborn only child. I'm like, I learned that by myself. Nobody's helping me out. <laughs> I'm not getting any advice. Like Robin Black kind of nurtured us a little bit sometimes. Oh, and, right on. Um, but I can't think of any specific advice he gave us. But like when I try to give advice to other people, like when they're asking me, I don't know, rock 
performance questions. I'll be like, the audience can smell your fear. The audience will not be engaged unless your heart is fully in it. Like, don't think about your hands. Don't look at your hands. The audience won't be engaged. They, they can tell when you're not present. So be present. I think that translates across a lot of different artistic pursuits, maybe not quite as viscerally as uh, trying to tame a, the crowd of a rock club. Oh, I thought of one. There was a journalist once that, because uh, there was a song we were about to play that we hadn't rehearsed much. And uh, I think it was Brett, though, that said, uh, oh, I hope we don't screw this one up. This one's a new one. <laughs> and then the journalist came to us after the show and she was like, never admit that in front of your audience. And I'm like, she has a point. <laughs> yeah, don't show the weakness. They can smell the fear. It's wild how forgiving an audience is in some ways. Like even even in a, a standoffish audience, like the perception, like if you're not pointing to it, they'll have no idea. It's like, oh yeah, that my bass wasn't plugged in the whole time. And they're like, I don't know, it sounded amazing to me because human minds are weird. Oh my God, yeah, that did happen to me once. A show, like a big show. We were playing the Mod Club. <laughs> And we had, uh, <laughs> Brett's brother was teching for us. Or maybe it was a horseshoe. But, um, like, we had this huge intro before we start. And, like, there's backing tracks and, like, fog pumping in. And, like, this crescendoing, like, build, 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 build to this, like, big opening note that we all hit this chord at the same time. Like, and nothing came out. <laughs> and, and I was like, I had this look of panic. I'm like, okay. Use the tech. Brett and Brett's brother was sitting offside on the stage, and I was just like trying to like, oh my god, how do we never communicated what, what the signal is? And I was like giving him the panic eyes, and he just looked it back at me, and he was like, hey, it sounded great. I'm like, okay, just pretend, just keep going with it, and yeah, nobody even had any idea. Good on you for uh, staying the course. Now it's time for unsolicited feedback, which is uh, the section of our show where I throw out some topics and I want you to try and give some constructive notes about these like weird abstract topics. Anything you don't want to respond to, we can just skip and not do. So first, I want you to give notes to cellos, an instrument that you also play. Be self-hydrating. <laughs> I'm so concerned about humidity. It's like creeping into other facets of my life because once, like everything was last year, my my tailpiece is ebony and it snapped. And I think it was because of dryness. So I'm like constantly like checking, like I have this humidifier running in my room all the time. I'm like, I was, I'm thinking about humidity way too much, I think. <laughs> Your cello's turning you into Howard Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, this might be related. The next subject I was going to ask you for is to give notes to uh, to winter, because uh, we're both here in Ontario right now, where it has uh, snowed a lot recently and a, a traditionally dry time of the year. Winter? Why are you so dry messing with my humidity of my cello? Yeah. <laughs> That's the real culprit. That's the, the cello killer. I just wish winter, you could be shorter, like... It's really, we're like at eight months, I feel like. I feel like it's more than 50% here in Toronto that we're in un, uncomfortably cold weather. I do like bundling up in coziness and fireplaces, but... A little shorter. Okay, I got one last one for you. Pretty specific. Can you give some notes on the experience of being married to your lead guitarist? Hmm, <laughs> the experience... Yeah, he's got a pedal addiction. It, what do you call it? Uh, 
He's got gas gear acquisition <laughs> syndrome. Oh, I've never heard that one. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, he's he's got like the alerts on his phone whenever Abominable comes out with a new pedal that's like limited edition. So it's like we've accumulated a lot of pedals over the pandemic. Does he proudly show you each one or is it like kind of like a shameful hide it in the toilet <laughs> tank kind of <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking for little cardboard boxes in the front hall closet. I'm like, that was four yesterday, and now it's five. <laughs> Babe, my tone. <laughs> my tone's so fierce. To be fair, his tone is very fierce. It is, um, yeah. He's he's very yeah, it's it's there's there's payoff in another way, but it is a little nuts. But at least there's good resale value for these things, like the stuff that he's after. Yeah, some people are in a Pokemon card, so it could be worse. <laughs> Yeah, just pass it off to somebody else's problem. I think Reverb's a great little... Enabler. For, yeah, for <laughs> helper and enabler. Yeah. That brings us to the end of our show. If you have a subject you would like a future guest to give notes on, please write in to goodestnotes at gmail.com. This has been Goodest Notes. You can find Steph, who, again, I would like to reiterate, is super cool and awesome. You can find her online at Steph Secchi on Instagram. We're produced by Drew Thomas, who also wrote the Goodest Notes theme while sipping margaritas with me. We each held each other's drink and the other's hand. How nice. Let's do this again. Talk to you later. Ah, that's it. We did a podcast. <laughs>